In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. On this day, we come to the remembrance of the beheading of St. John, the forerunner of the Messiah. Remembrance, not celebration. Though it is a Sunday, so we are celebrating the resurrection. So this homily will we'll talk about how we are remembering and how it's also a celebration. We have this unique coincidence of the beheading being tied to the 29th and this being the 29th, also a Sunday. St. John was a man of holy life and holy zeal. Zeal for the eternal law of God, a man whose whole life is shaped by and for the Savior, a man who spoke the call for repentance when others would rather not. The church offers up to us St. John the forerunner and the Baptist as a template, as a holy model. And Herod is the warning to us about what horrible things happen to those and with those whose minds are conquered by passion and where they are led toward. During St. John's time, there was great confusion about where the law of God was to take its followers and to who, and to what the Messiah would be. Nobody quite agreed how the people of God were to be or what they were to become. Many offered supposed answers. They taught dogged adherence to the externals, believing righteousness to come from religion alone, as if righteousness and salvation could be found in long phylacteries and in the minutiae of observances and the washings and the allowed working days. Others offered up a magic key ideology, a us-versus-them sort of nationalism, or the superiority of one teaching school's perspective over the other. The Messiah must come from us, or even we are the Messiah, was what they would say. The confusion is heightened in the days spent in arguments piling up misunderstanding upon misunderstanding of the Scripture and what its purpose is in the lives of believers, and what it truly means. Where is the coming promised Messiah? What do we need to do now to know when he is here? This is what the people ask themselves. And into this confusion and rivalry within the people of God steps a voice crying in the wilderness. A genuinely odd man. A prophet who knows the reality of God who fears no earthly power and resists its influence. He only cares about the voice of God, and he only trembles. The only time he trembles is when God calls him to baptize the Messiah. He only trembles because he knows that this one is the man, this man, standing before him on the bank of the Jordan River, is the Lamb of God, who will, on a glorious day, sacrifice his life for the world, and each person who ever lived, and will live. He trembles only when he points to Jesus, who is the Messiah and Lamb for all of humanity. But he is unwavering in his call to repentance, to follow God's ways, and in his preaching of the Messiah that he is pointing to. St. Gregory Palamas teaches us when he speaks of St. John the Forerunner as though John is a living icon of the Messiah. He sees this from the shape of John's life on earth and even after John's death. His life takes on the shape of Christ's life. 
even before the whole work of salvation is accomplished by the Son of God in the flesh. St. John's and Jesus' life are in parallel in time, and John's life is a mirroring of the Messiah's. He was born miraculously. He was dedicated to God even before his birth. He was a man with no place to lay his head. He sought no gain from man nor from earth, eating only locusts and honey, wearing only meager rags, and condemned to death unjustly, and ultimately giving his life for the fulfillment of God's law. All of this is the mirroring. John's whole life is pointing to the true Messiah. He is like a ray of sun which contains the elements of the sun, its heat, its light, its intensity. But he is not the sun itself. He is a ray, or as I said, as an icon that makes the Messiah present to us. The rulers of the world, however, chafed at St. John's unwavering statements that sin is sin. He, his calls to repentance, no matter anyone's station, to again follow the ways of God that he had given to his people were unwavering. The passion-filled pairing, Herod and Herodias, caught in their sinful choices, taking up a so-called marriage with no foundation other than their own lust and power, simply thought that John was a troublemaking eccentric, stuck in an archaic legal system. This is the trick of the evil ones and the passions they spark within us. Unable to endure the call to repent, they threw John in prison to be rid of him. As we have heard today, Herodias hated John so much that she began plotting for the day to get rid of John for good. And even used her daughter to devise a plan to take John's life as a trophy as though John's death could prevent the coming judgment for their actions. It was foolish belief that she added murder to their evil ways. Herod and Herodias and his whole court are like a diabolic icon, but one from whom we can learn a lesson. Herod was led by his lust and pride, and these he clung to more than anything. He was led to murder, but first he lusted. And this passion blinded and took over his mind. Then a love of his reputation halted his ability to repent. He clung to these passions, excited and they excited him, and he allowed his darkened eyes and the entrapments laid before him to guide him toward the abyss of soul-crushing sin. He was then lay, held chained by the gaze and impression of others to enter that abyss. He kept his evil oath and, those, and chose unjust murder as a result, all for impression, all for image, all to satisfy his ego and word, the unjust word that he had given. His will was depleted. Lust and pride were at the steering wheel of his mind. Dear ones, this is not a unique thing to Herod and his debauched ritual. The extreme of Herod's passionate entrapment can happen in little and in great ways in our own soul, too. Returning to St. Gregory Palamas, he teaches us this aspect of the words today, of what our soul is like. He says that it was created by God to be king and absolute ruler of the passions. But when charmed by the passions, 
it has led to unnatural servitude and alien deeds. All those enslaved by sin and passions, when they are accused by their own conscience, are grieved and displeased, as Herod was about what Herodias wanted him to do. We, at first, try to ignore the conscience and shut it up, as Herod did by imprisoning John to cease his preaching. We further ignore the appeals to Scripture and the calls to come to experience the fruits of peace that good living brings. Free of sin's entanglements, as, and we think of these only as quaint things of the past, but they can be here now. After this, we give ourselves over to the power of the passion that we have allowed into the heart. But this passion attacks the home of the soul, and it attempts to destroy the word of grace that is ready to be activated within you. As Herod did in giving himself over to the unlawful union with Herodias, and giving himself over to the pleasure of the spectacle of the party. Herod's passion caused him to make a promise he did not want to keep. And though mournful, his pride in his oath and the thought of others caused him to order the great sin of murder and unjust execution. St. Gregory Palamas gives a warning to those who have begun down the path that Herod has walked. The warning is to notice the path and to turn from it. When we give ourselves to a passion, even if we've only done so privately in our own soul, Heed the warning of St. Gregory's words. Those who speak against the truth of godliness also suffer Herod's fate, and to an even greater extent do the same things. Standing accused in our conscience by the prophetic, apostolic, and patristic words which we offer, initially it is as if we shut them up in a book. Let them sit, stay there, and may nobody use them or pronounce them, we say. For they do not listen to the Lord who tells us, Rather, search the scriptures, for in them you will find eternal life. They are then led to worse things to behold their thoughts and imaginations. Herod is an example of everything evil and impious, whereas John is the pillar and virtue of all godliness. So let us begin to heed John's words and repent and come, and God will come and cut off all the cords that bind us up that we can walk a different way, a path that leads to peace in, of soul and toward the resurrection. John's place in the history of salvation places him as one waiting for that full gift of the resurrection that was yet to come. But he had the gift of knowing that it would take place very soon. This gave him great courage. We have the benefit of being on this side of the resurrection, brothers and sisters, and we may celebrate it even today Today, think of John's life as that living icon, a ray of light in the darkness of men's souls. And especially because even death did not stop John from bringing people face to face with the Savior. So great was his hope in the Lamb of God's sacrifice. St. John was the last prophet of God before all scripture was fulfilled in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. This last of the prophets, tradition tells us, led people to he who is able to make us truly whole, to he who fulfills our longing and transforms our searching into an eternal journey. He is a knowledgeable guide to the heavenly sheepfold. John is the prophet calling all to awaken our souls to repent and change. 
appointed, and he pointed to the fulfiller of the law. And then at the beginning of that fulfillment, he decreases. John is beheaded by wicked and unjust rulers, just like his Lord and God. And in his death, he awaits the head of the church in Hades. However, John continues his ministry as the forerunner even there in Hades. He is active in this waiting place of the dead, preaching the gospel to all those who are behind her doors. As a result of his death, the preaching of the gospel is spread further than it could have ever done before. It is heard by all the dead of humanity. Now they await the arrival of Christ and the emptying of Hades. They await the day Jesus breaks its doors open on Holy Saturday. Through John the Forerunner's death, countless human beings became ready for their salvation and ready to recognize Christ when he entered there. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, is this salvation. But even this is not where the story ends. Jesus, the God-man, the sacrificial lamb, now has given his authority over to the apostles, just after accomplishing the great work, making Hades give up her dead. He hands this power over to the church and to live out the resurrection even now in our mortal flesh, just as John did with his great courage. It is the only in the light of the resurrection that all this becomes clear, that each person may now become the living rays, the living icons of Christ. It is the resurrection of Christ that allows us, as the book of Acts phrases it that we heard, to recognize Christ and to understand the utterances of the prophets that is, all of the scriptures. It is in the resurrection that Christ's power is given to us and that we partake of him and become like him. This is an understanding so many were unable to see before his resurrection, and even to this day we miss very often. This is an understanding that so many try to escape when they try to have an escape or rescue or mastery without the resurrected Lord. We open the door for passions to control us when we do this. The holy John, the forerunner, was able to know and become like his Lord because of this special gift he had as the forerunner. St. John acted as a pastor, guiding his sheep to the true shepherd by making his life like that of the Lamb of God, which he preached about. He stood up for the law that God, of God that Jesus gave. He preached the purification of souls, allowing us to see the Messiah by this process. And he clung to him, even under persecution and death, even those, these becoming, by God's providence, opportunities for the message of salvation to spread to the dead. He is a living icon of Christ, even in the grave with his soul in the realm of the dead. John is a prophet so closely resembling Jesus Christ that Herod and all his ilk, when the fame of Jesus' ministry came back to them after they had beheaded John, they thought Jesus Christ was John. We know, however, that they were wrong, that it is John who was like his Savior Jesus. This is what the saints are to us, and particularly today we focus on St. John. They are the representatives of Christ who lead us to the Savior. So this possibility is open to us today, brothers and sisters. You can become a living icon of the thing which you give your heart. 
and which you give your heart to. It's probably better said. Choose repentance. Confess the passions and sins and even the nagging thoughts that entangle and control you, and they will be cut off. By this, you become a living icon of Christ, much like St. John. And all the saints, each in each of her services, in all of her sacraments, in the prompting of the conscience, when we pay attention to these, the more the light of the Son of God will illumine you to become that living icon. Today, make that commitment to Christ, not to lock up and uproot the word of grace as Herod and Herodias did. That word of grace is being implanted in you. Become icons by fleeing the entanglements of sin's deceptions and the cleansing by the cleansing of your inner man, your inner being, through zeal for the truth of the eternal law of God, as St. John did. This commitment will make you whole and courageous in Christ. May we ever trust the Lord and take up his, this path that he has laid before us to enter into his eternal kingdom by repentance and the forgiveness of sins which Christ has won for us by his resurrection and in his grace that he imparts to us. Amen.